This podcast is not meant to be professional advice of any kind. It's meant to be informative and entertaining. If you make any changes to your life, see the appropriate professional before you do so. Hello and welcome to SuperAge. My name is David Harry Stewart. I'm the founder of Aegist. At SuperAge, we help you live better and become the best version of yourself. And who doesn't want a super age? Welcome to episode 17 of the Super Age podcast. We are broadcasting on December the 16th, 2020. And you know what I'm finding is one of the most difficult things about this whole pandemic thing is Zoom. And the reason I say that is because Zoom forces me to sit all the time. And normally when I'm taking phone calls or doing other things, I'm not sitting as much. I'm walking around, I'm pacing, I'm talking on the phone. But now you you can't do that with Zoom call, right? You got to sit still. And I find that my low back just um, gets tight. And so what I've been doing lately is I recall way back some trainer was telling me that a lot of low back pain has to do with my glutes not firing that I that he said I had lazy glutes <laughs> and so what we would do is we would um, activate my glutes before we did any kind of other exercises and so that's what I've been doing now like two or three times a day is I I have these rather robust elastic bands and I sort of tie them around my knees and then I do this sort of lateral crab walk thing um, back and forth for, I don't know, about not even five minutes. Like th- After like three minutes, my glutes are just screaming. But what happens is uh, I find if I sit, my low back doesn't hurt anymore. And the other trick I learned from a Pilates person was when sitting, make sure your knees are below your hips. Um, and that seems to, to help. So anyway... Tips for those out there with lazy glutes like mine are. Um, This week, we're going to be talking about financial wellness. And, you know, here at SuperAge, we envision wellness as this broad umbrella that sits over our lives that helps us live better, to live more well, essentially. And one of the things that's often neglected in that is this idea of financial wellness. And I wanted to speak to Scott Brewster today. Scott's a very smart MBA guy. Uh, He's um, highly credible. (laughs) He's a very sane individual uh, who's a financial advisor. He's He's a money manager. And I wanted to ask him about, since we're all seem to be living a lot longer and Some people think we're going to live a lot longer. How does that intersect with how long we're working, how much money we're saving for retirement? And apparently these interest rates are very low now. Does that change the whole paradigm of how much we should be saving and how long this money is going to last? I I don't really know. I find it all really fascinating and a little confusing. What I do know, though, is... It's very difficult to have any other kind of wellness, essentially, 
if you don't have financial wellness, um, and that's very sad. And but I, I think it's there's there's some truth to that. So anyway, we're going to call Scott in a few minutes and find out what he's up to. But first, we're going to have a word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Carrie Grand, which is a wonderful skincare company that we've been working with for the last few months, and they are just a just a fantastic find. I'm so happy that we came upon them. They believe in something that may be, you know, somewhat revolutionary in the skincare and beauty industry, and that is let's look at health and hydration over youth and perfection. Radical, right? And just word to the wise, perfection will make you nuts. <laughs> let's work with what we've got um, and just trying to do the best with that. Uh, their, their results are designed for sustainability at every level. Uh, there's, you know, sustainability in the world, in your body, and in your everyday routines. They have this very simple routine, which is great for me. I'm a guy. You know, I really wasn't educated on this stuff too much. Uh, it's cleanse, hydrate, protect, and go. And just a word on protect. What they're talking about there is their sunblock. And I'm, I am religious about sunblock. Um, I wear it every day. And as Carrie was explaining to me one day, there's UVA and UVB. They're both bad. B is what burns you. A is what ages you. And A will go through glass. It will bounce off of surfaces. It goes through clouds. It's why even in the winter, here we are in December, before I leave the house, I put on Cary Grand SPF. Um, and it smells great, by the way. It's like the best smelling sunblock I've ever used. So um, if you would like to explore their products, please do. Um, you get a wholehearted endorsement from us here. Carrie Grant is spelled K-A-R-I-G-R-A-N. And since you're an awesome Super Age listener, you get 20% off site-wide if you type in Aegis20 at checkout. That's A-G-E-I-S-T-20. Good products. You're going to like them. Hey, Scott. How are you today? Doing, doing well, doing well. Um, it's, it's Friday with a nice weekend ahead, and uh, and it's been a good week. So wonderful. Um, so you know, we've got you on the show today to talk about um, wellness, essentially financial wellness, and you are an expert in that. Um, tell me, why is why do you feel financial wellness is good? Yeah, well, uh, first, thank you for having me on your your show. I appreciate uh, being here. Um, as far as financial wellness, why why I think it's good is, I really just think it's so important for people having a a happy and healthy life, having financial wellness. Um, from a very young age, I, I saw how a lot of people didn't know or didn't didn't know where to turn and didn't didn't even have an interest in personal finance and it's so instrumental to having a stress-free and happy life and and it it has forever interested me uh the subject and and turning my passion into something that can help others right i mean you can't really have this um super awesome life and be healthy and everything else unless you've you've got the financial part tied up. And I, I think a lot of people uh, sort of skip over that. 
They do. I mean, life is, you know, we all have our interests. And so I don't blame people that they're not interested, you know, the focusing in on what are the investments to choose in their 401k at work or how much should they even be saving or having emergency side, uh, emergency funds put aside. I, I, do, I don't blame people. It's, it's not everybody's interest. A lot of people have interest in more interesting things, um, but it is an interest to me because I do think it is so crucial to know that when your car uh, breaks down or gets a flat, you can fix it and move on with your life. Um, and it's crucial to, to um, enjoying the things that you do have interest in. Um, so, you know, a lot of things have changed um, over the last 20, 30 years. One of them is people are living longer. Um, how long, you seem like a pretty sensible fellow. How long do you think you're going to live? Well, for, first of all, your, your, your assumptions, some people would disagree. But I, I, I personally have always thought um, that the, the age I would like to live to is about 120, or at least the age I thought I could live to. Um, you know, I've had I've had grandparents live to 100, and I just thought, hey, the, the world's getting so much better with healthcare and technology and advances in that area, and life expectancy is going up. Um, you can see it in in the cost of uh, life insurance itself. It, uh, term insurance uh, costs are dropping because people are living longer. I mean, at, you know, every decade you go back, people keep living longer and longer. Uh, so I, I really think my kids uh, who are being born now with advances in technology potentially might never actually have uh, an expiration date, which is kind of scary to think about. I don't think it'll come in my lifetime, uh, but I do think it is on the horizon at some point. Yeah, well, uh, whether that, that that's an interesting idea. Um, uh, but but the, th the thing that what interests me about that in speaking yeah. with you is the mo the financial modeling that goes along with that. So that sort of like, you know, back when Social Security started, I don't know, it was like 1932 or something. Um, people were supposed to, you know, what did you withdraw at 65 and you're dead at 68 or something like that. Uh, so putting the Social Security thing aside, uh, tell me. How does this, if, say I feel, um, say, I, say I believe what you do, that I'm yeah. going to live to 120. Right. Um, and how does that change all of the, the savings, the withdrawal, the work? Like, it seems like that whole thing changes, right? It, it absolutely changed, changes. Uh, the whole world is changing. I mean, no longer do you work till you're 60, 65, retire, get a gold watch, and then, you know, you're, you're gone in 10, 15 years later at most. Uh, the world is dramatically changing. There's no more pensions. Uh, and people are, are living a lot longer. It means that we need to take a whole lot more financial responsibility and pay attention to making sure we have a, a plan that can, that, that, can get us by during what potentially a 30 year plus retirement and hopefully a happy and healthy and enjoyable one. So, um, all right. So we're going to take these numbers that you just gave me. You're going to live to 120. You've got a 30 year retirement um, span there. That means you're gonna, it could, could be, well, so let's talk about the, the third number that's missing there. 
um, when are you going to, uh, when do you figure your work life will be ending? Yeah. So, you know, I, I always say that uh, people should go with the assumption that, uh, excuse me, that they are going to be ready to retire uh, somewhere around 65, 70 uh, at latest, um, and then hope that they can keep working longer because they've been doing something that they enjoy doing. Uh, the, the one of the problems is out there is that life, you make a plan and uh, whoever's above us sometimes will laugh. There's, there's, there's no certainty that we will be able to keep being productively employed. So it is extremely important to be ready to no longer um, have a gainful employment as far as monetary at somewhere between 65 and uh, 70, even if we end up working into our 85s and 90s. I had a great uncle who in the 1850s worked into his 90s. So I'm not saying we want to stop working, especially if we enjoy it. Uh, but just be ready so that you can have financial freedom no matter what life brings you. Okay, so now you've given me the third number. Um, so let's say I'm going to work until I'm 80 mm -hmm. and, but I'm going to live till I'm 120. Yeah. So I got another 40 years. Yeah. So, okay. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, that's a long period of taking money out. Yes. And so that intersects with this, um, people talk about like we're in this zero rate environment. What is, so before we talk about how these things intersect, let's tell me what is, what do they mean zero rate environment? You know, I, 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 well, first of all, a zero rate environment where we're at an environment where basically treasuries are, are at zero rate. Uh, um, you know, the, the 10 year treasuries below 1%. Uh, and the 30-year treasury is below 2%. And so interest rates are basically at zero. And there's other people, a lot of some people out there who think uh, over the next seven years, uh, equity returns could be towards zero. Now, uh, I am not one to make predictions. Uh, I think it's very dangerous to market time. Um, and so... Um, so I'm not that gloomy. And I also don't think in short periods of time. We were just talking about how the re one's retirement could potentially be 40 years or 50 years or, or 30 years. All of those periods of time are greatly uh, exceeding the short, short period that people are talking about when they talk about zero returns environment. And so I think by focusing on the short term, uh, people often miss the big picture and putting together a plan that can work for the long term. Um, so this, um, it would seem to me, if mm. I'm um, going to be pulling out of my savings for 40 years. Yes. Um, how, what, what percentage of your income should you be putting away to plan for this eventuality? Nobody yeah. had to plan for this before, right? This is no one needed a new thing. No one needed a plan for this before. Right. Um, and, and the, you know, the, 
the bottom line is uh, there, there are rules of thumbs, but you got to watch out for rules of thumb because everybody's situation is different. Some people have rental real estate. Some people have pensions. Uh, you know, some people live on a lot less than other people. So everybody is literally unique. Uh, but, you know, I like to see and in generally, again, back generally, but you need to apply it to yourself. If you're saving 15% of your income, um, 10 at the bottom end, 25 at the top end. But if you're targeting 15% and you're saving 15% regularly of your income, it's pretty hard uh, to get to retirement and not have enough there for a retirement, provided you're not just putting that 15% under your mattress um, and um, provided you're not gambling with it. A lot of caveats, but assuming you're just investing it and you're investing in a diversified manner, you should be fine. Um, and you know, it's it fifteen percent means that you get to keep eighty five percent of what you earn, uh, less taxes. So so um, so it's it it hopefully is not overly burdensome, and it also means the more you make the more you get to spend too. So it doesn't take away uh, the benefits of, of making more. It's it's a win-win all around. And is this still the case if, this is where I, I get a little confused. So sure. if I think, if I, if I follow this plan and um, I get to whatever it is, 75 or 80, and rather than, you know, withdrawing for say my life expectancy I think for me, my current life expectancy is like 92 or something, mm -hmm. but, but maybe there's a surprise. I don't live to 92. I live to 120. Yeah. So is, am I still going to have enough money? Well, it, it really depends on you. Um, it depends on all of us. It depends on what we demand of our investments. Um, you know, the main thing is not to demand more than is reasonable and a, a very common number and one I I, I uh, anchor to uh, and you adjust it depending on a person's age is 4%. Uh, if you're taking out 4% of your investments in retirement and, and no more, it means that it's almost a perpetual uh, portfolio. It almost guarantees that there's going to be something left for a legacy, whether it's to pass to heirs or pass to a worthy cause, uh, because it means you never chew through completely your investments, but you're always leaving enough there for the future and to keep growing for the future. I, everybody knows these sort of formulas. It's like, you know, when you're younger, it's like 80, 20, 80 in stock sure. market, and 20 in bonds, and then you get older and that the ratio kind of changes, you more bonds and so you have less volatility in the equities but um if i'm going to be around for a really long time does that change that it it absolutely changes it i mean the old rule of thumb was you have your age in in bonds well that would mean a a 70 year old would have 70 percent in bonds and if they're living to a hundred um, that's 30 years with a 
smaller and smaller allocation uh, to equities and not likely to produce the kind of returns uh, to support a, a real nice lifestyle. Uh, and so since people are living a lot longer, I think you have to sort of update that old rule of thumb is no longer uh, appropriate. And, you know, maybe when somebody retires, a 60% allocation to stock makes sense. Uh, and it might make sense throughout retirement, because if you, the older you get, um, and the more it becomes clear that you're not going to run out of money, which is good, um, the less defensive you have to be, uh, and the more you start thinking about potentially, um, you know, legacies and and other generations, future generations. Um, where whereas if you are uh, going to run out of money, you have to be much more defensive. So if you look at a lot of these target date funds. I, th I personally think a lot of the financial companies are thinking people aren't saving enough uh, because you'll see a lot of them like Vanguard's one. It, it has the, uh, the equity allocation, the stock allocation, the amount that's in stock when you get into retirement down towards 30%. And a lot of, a lot of firms have very low allocations towards stock uh, when people are in retirement with these target funds. Uh, and I I, I believe it's because they think people aren't who are investing in these might not have enough money. And so they have to be extremely conservative and, and not not have much volatility. Uh, and unfortunately, they're giving up the upside potential of, of ownership of great companies uh, because they have smaller percentage of their uh, investment funds in these target funds in stocks, i.e. ownership of companies. Do, do you think also maybe they, they think that people aren't going to live that long? Um, I know because the life expectancy tables are out there. So okay. they clearly think people are going to live that long because they're pricing life insurance appropriately. Um, I, I think it's just a sad truth that you just look at the numbers. Most people don't save enough for retirement. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and, um, the, you know, I, I do think the finance industry is trying their best, uh, with education and with managing these different vehicles appropriately. Um, unfortunately it's not a subject that is a lot of time is spent on in school. And so a lot of people are just not, um, uh, they're, they don't have the knowledge uh, or the desire uh, because that it's just not a passion to know what to do to be in good shape for a long, long retirement. And my recollection, Scott, is that there's some kind of regulations out there about um, like you, there's an age, you there's a mandatory withdrawal age where you have to be taking money out. What's, what's that about? Yeah. So, Bottom line is the government has done all these things to encourage us to save for retirement. And uh, um, unfortunately, for the most part, they've worked for very wealthy people, but not for most people. Uh, but the, the flip side is they didn't want people to put money into retirement accounts and leave it there and never pay taxes. So they, they set this required minimum uh, distribution and RMDs where you have to start taking money out of your retirement accounts. 
the age was originally 70 and a half. You had to start taking distributions by, by the April 1st uh, after that, uh, you reached that um, age. And, and they just actually raised it to 72, just to acknowledge people are working longer and living longer. So that's just another, another example of, uh, of people do understand uh, that people are living longer. Um, and there's a lot of talk about raising the, the, the age even further, maybe 75. Uh, so um, that's a good thing. That, that will help people accumulate more and have more time to accumulate for that worry-free retirement that hopefully is long and happy and healthy. And also the good news, which has always been the case, is if you're working and contributing to your employer's uh, retirement plan, as long as you're not uh, a, a key employee, you do not have to, as long as you're working, you do not have to make those required minimum distributions. Uh, so um, so it's, hmm. there, there's something. In, interesting. If, um, so the government says, I have to start taking money out at 75, but I'm going to live to 120. Now or 72. 72, excuse me. Um, and I'm going to live to 120. Yes. So can I take the money out and then put it back in? You, no. I can't yeah, do that. That would be nice. Um, but I always tell people, A, you, you don't have to take it out and spend it, right? So you, you can put it in a non-retirement uh, account that All right. you know is for your retirement, right? So you can put it in a regular investment account. And also the amount that the government uh, forces us to take out is not outrageous. It's based on our life expectancy. Uh, so, but I'm going to do 120. Yeah, well, it's it's every year it's recalculated. And <laughs> it, it, so the, the longer you live, those life expectancy tables are more favorable. But again, it, it would it would have you taking out and spending more than I necessarily might uh, feel comfortable with, especially in the, the later ages, if you're an extremely healthy, uh, vigorous 90-year-old, um, the tables will have you taking out an awful lot of your, your retirement nest egg. That pisses me off. Yeah. Right. I, <laughs> I think it, 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 it angers a lot of people. Yeah. And <laughs> just jump to 72 and why it's, it's soon going to jump to 75 um, and, um, yeah, so, so Cause they want their taxes. That's what this want, is about. They want, they want their money. Yep. Right. Money. Yeah. Governments. Oh, well, there is no, there like is that. No, there's no required distributions from, uh, uh, the, the tax-free retirement accounts like Roth. So if you have a Roth IRA, uh, where, which is a type of retirement account, the government doesn't say you have to liquidate it, uh, because there are no tax is going to be right. better. keep that one forever. So it, it is all about uh, tax revenue. Ha. Huh. Yep. <laughs> Death and taxes. <laughs> Those um, guys. <laughs> I, 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 I do expect at some point, uh, not in my lifetime, but uh, death might be optional, but I don't ever see taxes as optional. <laughs> I mean, I, I take a... Um, uh, I took a, an epigenetic aging test yeah. and so um, called index. And I think I'm aging at like 0. 0.8, 0. 0.8 or something. 
So I'm I'm 62, but I'm my biological age is less. I forget what it was like, 56 or something. Yeah. And yeah. I and I sort of feel like there should be some kind of interaction um, between uh, epigenetic age and forcing me to take my money out because that's not fair, right? If I'm going to live a long time, why you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, give it. You, the, the last thing you want is the government to be involved in figuring any of these distributions out. Um, but um, it, it is, you know, they, they have their balancing act and uh, God, I, I would not want them to make it any more complicated. It's true. I just, you know, essentially what, um, what they're saying is they're predicting when I'm going to die. Um, they, and they, uh, they're worried you're going to die and not pay them taxes. Uh I'm worried they're going to force me to take all my money out. So when I'm 110, um, I got a problem. Yeah, you won't have the money that you need. Yeah, but again, I, it goes back to you don't have to, you don't have to spend it. You can take it out and put it in a. It, you can spend some, and save some. Just, right. just like you know, throughout life, you, you spend some of your income, you save some of your income. They, they predict these sort of um, big pension funds that they're going to, you know, they're somehow going to get an 8% return. Yeah. Um, but they're stuck. Uh, the, the treasuries, like you said, are close to zero. Yeah. So that's forcing them to do things maybe they, am I right? They're, they're trying, probably doing things they don't want to normally do. You know, I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of uh, financial professionals do things sometimes to look smart. Um they go into all sorts of complicated investment vehicles uh, that maybe have have just from study after study and results after results say that you know they probably should have just stuck to the the more uh, traditional 60 percent stocks forty percent bond allocation. I don't know how much they are doing things like getting overly aggressive. I, I actually I don't think they're doing that. Um, so much, um, and the they they are professionals uh, in the sense that over the past couple decades, if you look at the pension projections as far as what they their return assumptions are, they actually have been lowering them. So most of them are no longer at eight percent. Actually, just very few pension plans are at eight percent. Uh, most are between six and a half and seven and a half percent, and that that makes that makes sense because uh, uh, the interest rates have have gone down, uh, and so um, the the interesting thing is their real rate of return, which is the rate they think they're going to get above inflation, has actually been fairly consistent. It's hmm. I think right around four and a half percent ish. Um, and so the real question is, will they be able in the future to, to get four and a half percent above, um, above uh, inflation? Well, the good news is uh, it partly doesn't matter uh, because a lot of these pension plans it's all, it's almost like the the 60 40 allocation is is how they're funded too uh only only 60% of the the returns or the the 
the growth is from from returns itself. Forty percent is is generally planned uh, from uh, employer and employee contributions. Uh, and so, you know, if we go through bad periods and the investments have a uh, a drop. In a way, it's sort of just like it's good for individual investors who are saving for for uh, retirement. Uh, you get to buy things when they're on sale, and so these pension plans during these bad periods are still investing. They're still putting in employee contributions. The employer contributions are still going in, um, and and so their return return assumptions are not the only important thing. One of the big, biggest problems, <laughs> sorry to ramble on here, is the what they're promising. Um, one of the problems is is that a lot of, uh, particularly governmental pensions, uh, they're they're continuing to increase what they promise to the employees, and so a lot of them are underfunded uh, because they're they're making these you know everybody wants to be reelected and so no one wants to be the bad guy, um, and so that's going to be the hard thing is not necessarily the returns. Um, it's, it's really the localities being able to put in what they, they need to, to keep these things solvent. Everybody wants a pony. Everybody wants a pony. (laughs) Absolutely. So I just, you know, I just, this, um, I know I didn't go too deep into financial minutia here, but the idea of inflation is, you know, they sort of group these sort of, they call them like core things together, consumer products. My understanding um, is that things like, like if you want to buy a house, uh, um, education, like medicine, the, the, the really big ticket stuff, sure. which has like gone up astronomically, astronomically, 10 or 20 years. That's not part of their math, is it? Well, it is. Uh, yeah. Inflation is definitely part of their, their math because it, it's all based on what they have to pay out in the future. Uh, which is no, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to back you up. So, if yeah. you're thinking that um, when the when the government says there's a four percent inflation rate, are they taking into account the inflation in like if you're if you're going to college now versus you went to college 15 years ago? Yeah, it's like an order of magnitude more expensive. Um, medicine, people's health yeah. insurance, people's um, like housing costs just in the last year have gone way up. Are those things factored in when the government says, oh, the inflation rate is low for low for what? Like if I'm buying a bread or something? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's actually that's an interesting topic in itself is every different life cycle period we're in has its own unique inflation. You know, the older the older you get, you might be um having higher inflation than other people because the cost of medical care is, is going up faster than quote unquote inflation. Uh, so your personal inflation uh, um, might be a lot higher. Uh, same thing, you know, if you're going to college, you know, and college is a big part of your bill. Well, cost of education has been going up uh, faster than inflation. But on the other hand, if you're buying things like uh, maybe food or cars. There are a lot of areas there where 
things have actually gotten cheaper over over time relative uh you know the 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 increase in their costs has been below inflation so it it's yeah the, the inflation topic itself is really person specific and the basket they use is not the basket that's appropriate for everybody no i just, it's always really i i'm somewhat amused when they they say like oh well you know inflation is you know under control everything's fine and i think like yeah. huh you should look at what my health insurance bills are oh yeah <laughs> you should, should you know, right you got a kid in college let's talk about that <laughs> you know the cost of health insurance is out of control and yeah. you you see it play out in politics right i mean it's 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 everywhere and it's a it's a it's a problem and so again that gets back to you know who who's who's inflation rate right Different right have, have uh inflate inflation rate numbers out there are totally inaccurate for for a lot of people i think everybody i, I just <laughs> like the whole it doesn't make any like <laughs> sure i i go with everybody because <laughs> you know so it's, yeah it's, might it might be a it might be appropriate for one person out there as far as it matches exactly their basket but yeah I, some is, is somebody who doesn't have health insurance doesn't have a deductible doesn't have to pay for education and doesn't have any housing costs they're fine yeah. <laughs> i'd like to meet that person <laughs> yeah um so uh this is this is super interesting uh do you find that you know with I mean, we sort of answered this a little bit earlier, but as people with this this sort of new longevity model that we're looking at, yeah, you're saying that really the 15 percent of income still covers that. Like we don't have to we don't have to change that. Yeah, I don't think you have to change that, and probably it might even be more than a person who who's young needs to even contribute. Um, uh, but you know, better to have more options when you get older than than less options. Uh, it could give you the ability to take a career that drastically uh, makes less money, but you have a passion for. Uh, it, it just it could mean that you're ready to to be financially and with financial freedom earlier. Uh, but if you have a good stretch, um, you can build up a lot by saving 15% a year. You know, if you save fifteen percent of your your income for twenty years, you're going to have a nice chunk of money set aside uh, to live on. Right on. Financial wellness leads to all other. Uh, well, I, I don't, that's not true. Financial wellness doesn't lead to all kinds of wellness. But if you do not have financial wellness, it will very much have an impact on all the rest of it. I don't feel I can say I can live to one hundred and twenty yet, but you know, I'm I'm figuring. 95 100 so yeah I, I, I like that target and uh you know the older the older i get um i get more uh more uh frustrated i i, I actually wish the tech health technology would speed up um i thought because of moore's law uh there would be more advances by now than there there have been but you know what we see we see how great and and improving health uh, the health industry is every year. Just look at this COVID vaccine. Oh my God! With yeah, perfect example of how uh, the 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 ability to treat people is getting so much better so quick. Um, and so I do think that there's bright 
there's a bright future for all of us. Yeah. The, key, the key is we have to live healthy to get there. Yeah, so. absolutely. Oh, Scott, this was great. Thank you so no, much. Thank You're... you for inviting me. Uh, this is uh, definitely, I appreciate being here and the opportunity. And uh, I, I, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Good to have you. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show today. We have a very loyal audience, and we are most appreciative. Usually at this time in the show, what I do is I read out some reader questions. And we're going to take a little break from that this week because we have a question for you that I'm hoping you can help us with. We've been publishing Aegist for about six years, and people ask us, what is the common thread that unites everyone? What's the why? Why are certain people living in this way and and others not? And my response is curiosity that the people that we profile, the people that you know are in our gang, they tend to be very curious. And I've asked a lot of people, a lot smarter than I am, about what causes curiosity. Like, why are some people curious and why aren't they? Can can curiosity be provoked? Does it go away? Uh, does it come in waves? And there doesn't seem to be a lot of science or a lot of investigation around curiosity. And so we've been thinking a lot about this, and I think probably in the next week or two, we're going to do a show on curiosity. But I would love to have your thoughts on what is the cause of curiosity? Why are some people curious and some people not? please email me, david at superage.com. And let's dive into this, this like next week or two. It's clearly the bedrock of being able to superage to really have an exceptional life is curiosity. And I, I feel like I'm really curious about curiosity. I don't know enough about it. I'm hoping you guys can help me out. David at superage.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. If you're on iTunes, uh, there's a like button. Please use it. You can leave a comment. Would love to hear from you. What did you think of Scott today? Um, what do you think of his thoughts on finance? Um, about you know the whole we're living longer at lower interest rates. What did, did you have any thoughts on that? Is that I don't know. I thought it was really interesting. So have a wonderful week, everybody. Stay safe, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye now.